books, uh, greatest Christian books that I have ever read. It's called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, Recovering the Heart of the Christian Faith. I read this book a number of years ago when I, when I was going through a really kind of dry patch in my faith. And there was something about uh, the book. It, it goes through Luke 15, the, prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son, and just brought my faith alive, refreshed my faith. So it's a very simple book, very easy book. My mum says she doesn't like to read Christian books because they're technical and all that kind of thing. I gave her this book and she read it and she loved it. Um, so not only it's endorsed by me, endorsed by my mum too. So you can get it. I'm going to uh, put it down there. If you want it, just come and pick it up. Um, but how about we uh, pray as we look at God's word this morning? Let's pray. Father God, I pray as we look at your word this morning that you would speak to us. Lord, this is a, this is a challenging passage. This is a, a confronting passage. But Lord, I pray that we would have hearts and minds that are soft to you, open to you. That we would be changed by you as we encounter you and your word. Give us a great picture of who you are. Give us a right picture of who we are. But Lord, give us an amazing picture of what Jesus has done for us to bring us from death to life, to bring us from being lost to being found. I pray that you would do all that this morning as we look at your word this morning. Amen. Amen. I'm lucky to have a number of mentors, and one of my mentors is a guy named Scott and I can remember ringing him uh, one time. I had a bunch of questions about church, a bunch of problems about church. And I rang him and he goes, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm t- uh, as I was telling you, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, and then he starts asking me questions about me. He said, Hans, um, what did you do when this happened? Have, how did you contribute to the situation? And I was getting a bit frustrated. Uh, and I said to Scott, oh, I'm getting a bit frustrated. He goes, yes, you're being frustrated because, Hans, you just wanted to ring me up and have a whinge to me and, and you just wanted me to go, oh, there, there. You're right. You're perfect. But actually, you've got to realise, Hans, that all your problems are your fault. And I said, thank you, my brother in Christ, you know. I don't know if you've got a friend like that who will tell you the hard thing that you need to hear, who will say to you, come before this mirror and have a look in the mirror. I wonder when the last time you had a confronting conversation like that. Well, today, God, through the prophet Isaiah, is is going to have a confronting conversation with the nation of Judah. But not only the nation of Judah, by extension, he's going to have a confronting conversation with us. Uh, Judah lived in a time of massive spiritual upheaval. I mean, you see that in verse 1, don't you? Four different kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. And what, what we know from the books of 1 and 2 kings is that there were some good kings and some bad, but there was this kind of spiritual and moral roller coaster in, in Israel, in Judah at this time. And, and this is when Isaiah is speaking. We live in a time when it's this kind of spiritual topsy-turvy world, this morally topsy-turvy world. And Isaiah, from verse 1, is going to give us a vision. A vision of who God is. A vision of Judah, and by extension, a vision of us. And the question is, 
Are we going to take on Isaiah's vision? Are we going to believe God at his word as he speaks through the prophet Isaiah? Are we going to have God's vision for us and our world and his people and God himself? Or are we going to kind of have a different vision, therefore a not true vision? Because in this vision, throughout the whole book, God is going to speak to us and he's going to say, this is who you are, this is who I am, and this is what I've done, and this is what I will do. And the question is, are we going to listen to that? Now, I wonder, as you were listening to um, Michelle give that very great, very good Bible reading, we were very well served by Michelle doing such a great job this morning. I wonder if, if as you were hearing the Bible being read, and as you were reading it on your Bible or your tablet or your phone, or it doesn't matter, wherever you were reading it, I wonder if you thought, man, this is a really full-on passage. If you thought that, you're absolutely right. And here's the thing about full-on passages that are really confronting. A lot of the time, we think about other people. What we do is we go, oh, man, I'm glad that such and such is here to listen to this sermon. Or I hope that such and such is zooming in online so that they can hear this. But actually, this is not a sermon for someone in front of you or behind you or sitting next to you or someone zooming in. This is a sermon for you. This is a passage of scripture for you. And when God has a confronting conversation with you, what are you going to do? Well, I pray that we would have hearts and minds that are open because not only are we going to be confronted by God, we're also going to be loved and cared for by God in this passage. We're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see a rebellious people, hypocritical worship, and a gracious God. Rebellious people, hypocritical worship, and a gracious God. Let's have a look at this rebellious people in verse 2 of chapter 1. It says this, Hear me, your heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I read children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Now, now notice what God is calling his people. Have a look once again in verse 2. He's saying, I reared children and brought them up. What God is saying is that the people who he's speaking to aren't some people that he doesn't know. No, they are his children. And therefore, from this, we know that he loves them. He is speaking to them as a father, a loving father. He has saved them. We read that in the book of Exodus. He has, he has helped them all the way through. He has forgiven them over and over and over again throughout their history. This is a loving God speaking to his people. And we should not get this twisted. Because as God is going to say some really, really kind of confronting things, he's doing it out of love. He's doing it out of love. But let's have a look at their spiritual condition. Have a look at verse 4 with me. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One. They have turned their backs on Him. I wonder if you saw the three levels or the three different aspects to their rebellion against God. Once again, verse 4, the second half, they have forsaken. That, that is to say, they have, kind of, they have turned away from God. 
What, what else? They have spurned. It's almost like they, they are, uh, you know, flipping the bird to God, I guess. And finally, they have turned their backs on him. They have turned their backs and they are walking away. Their rebellion against God is total, is total. And yet, what does God do? Have a look at verse 5. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only open wounds and welts and sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate. Your city is burned with fire. Your fields are stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a, like a city in a siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would not, sorry, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. What God has been doing is he has been judging them. He has been sending foreign countries to be at war with them. And they have come under these foreign countries and they've been devastated much like a man who has been beaten up that they have been beaten over and over and over again their the country is laid waste but but if you have a look at verse 5 he says why should you be beaten anymore so, so, see the whole point is he's doing it so that they would wake up so that they would see that they are rebelling against God. God is sending them judgment. God is sending them calamity so that they will go, we are rebelling against God, let's turn back to him. And God is saying, why should I do this anymore? Haven't you learned your lesson? But they haven't. But they haven't. One of the questions I think a lot of us ask is this. If there is a good God, why does he allow all this bad stuff to happen? That's, that's a totally legitimate question. I'm sure you've asked that question. If you haven't, share it. One day you will. And sometimes God actually puts us or lets us go through extremely hard times because we are rebelling against him and he's getting us to wake up. See, the thing is, I have never, ever had someone come to me when they're going through a, a great period of life and say, Hans, uh, you know, I'm going through an amazing period of life. Everything's going well. I actually want to become a Christian. No, people generally become Christians when their life is falling apart and they turn back to God and that is God being gracious to them. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I, I remember a friend of mine. She had, when she was a teenager, she just went off the rails. She went off the rails in so many areas of her life. And what did her parents do? Her parents got to a stage where they kicked her out of home. They took away her privileges of being one of their kids. They took away, you know, the, the keys to the house, the car keys. They took away even the credit card and everything. And they said, if you want to live like this, 
live like that. It took her about 10 years, but one day she woke up. She came home. She apologized. Her parents did that. Why? Because they wanted her to wake up. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe you're going through a period where it's really uncomfortable at the very least. I wonder if God is actually saying to you, hey, do you realize that you've been living without me? I wonder if God is saying to you, hey, hey, maybe there's an area of your life that you need to change. God will lovingly and graciously do that to you. That is part of you being loved by your heavenly Father. I know I've been through times like that. It's very, very hard. But God is saying, you need to wake up. He's saying to me when he puts me through those things, you need to wake up. The question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to come back to God? Or are you going to keep going like that? There's not only a rebellious people, but here we see hypocritical worship. Have a look at verse 10 with me. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And at this point, you're going, wait, Sodom and Gomorrah was killed, was destroyed maybe a thousand years before Isaiah is written. So what's he talking about here? What I think he's going is the people of Judah. You are like Sodom and Gomorrah, those evil cities. And he says about their worship, verse 11, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have, I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and fat and fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the, the blood of bulls and lambs and coats. When you come to appear before me, who asked of this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing these meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, convocate and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new, new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. God sees all, all, the, all the things that they are doing, all the offerings, all the celebrations, all the feasts. And, and, and there were a lot of feasts there, weren't there? And God is saying, when you do that, it's just disgusting to me. It's, it's detestable to me. Verse 14, I hate them with all my being. You, you can't get, you can't mistake what God is saying. He is saying, when you come to the temple or, 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 or whatever, when, when you come and you, you worship me, Judah, I just hate it. I want to vomit. But why? Verse 15, your hands are full of blood. Verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Please the case of the widow. What, what is their problem? Their problem is they come to the temple and, and they, they give all these sacrifices, but then they leave the temple and what they learn at the temple or what they do at the temple doesn't change the rest of their lives. But because they don't care about the oppressed. They don't do right. They don't seek justice. They don't take up the cause of the fatherless. They don't plead the cause of the widow. 
All the things that if you're an Israelite back in this day, God would say, this is the first thing that you've got to be when you step outside the temple. You've got to be compassionate. But, but that's not you. And therefore, God sees all these religious things that you are doing. And he just looks at them and goes, they, they disgust me because they're just surface level. You don't really care about them. You're not really doing them from a heart conviction. You are doing them because, well, you're just kind of out, out of this religious duty. So, so, so it's a bit like this. The, the Bible actually, the, especially the Old Testament, talks about Israel being like a wife. And, and God had saved Israel this beautiful wife, and married her. And yet, what does she do? She goes off and prostitutes herself to all these different gods. And you can imagine if that was really happening and this wife really kept a beautiful house, put really good food on the table uh, and all this kind of stuff, and her husband came home and went, I know what you're doing, and yet you're kind of coming here and pretending like everything's okay. Here's Israel, they're stuffing up in every area, and then they come to the temple and go, oh, well, God, everything's okay. Oh, you know, I've got this sacrifice. I'm, I'm doing this feast. And God is saying, man, I, I just can't stand it. Imagine you're that husband who you know your wife is out there being a prostitute, and you're eating that food that she's put in front of you. Wouldn't you feel sick? That's the same thing that God is doing here. He's just saying, I just hate this. Because you, you say all these things when you come to the temple and you live like this. I, I dare say we know people who call themselves Christians and don't live it out quite openly. But what about you? I mean, we sung some great songs this morning, haven't we? Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. I wonder when you leave here, can the world that is watching you see with your life that you worship a great God? Or did you merely sing that song? I wonder in every area of your life, do you show that you worship this great God? Or are you like Israel here? I mean, you can belt out a tune. You can be on a roster. You, you can even give money to the church. You can do all these great things that, that make it seem like you're legit. But you actually walk away from here and nothing's changed. You just seem like every other Aussie. And God is looking down on us when that happens and saying, man, I, I can't stand you singing. I, I, I can't stand this because it's just, it's just hypocritical. See, I wonder if we're open enough to have friends around us point out where our lives are going off track so that we wouldn't be hypocrites. See, the thing is, Jesus, when he came, he wasn't kind of just dying for you out of mere obligation. 
He did that because he loved you. He died for you so that not only you'll be saved from your sin, but you wouldn't live for your sin. You would live for him. So, so if, if we come to church and we sing these songs and we go out and we live a totally similar life to every other Aussie, what we've forgotten is the gospel. Because we live in response to what Jesus has done for us. If we're not living in response, we've forgotten the gospel. Maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit has brought, brought out to your attention right now. And you've said, I need to fix this area of my life. Don't leave today without talking to someone about it. And remind yourself of the gospel. So that you would live in response to our great and gracious God. Let's have a look at, at, the, at the last point. Our great and gracious God. Have a look once again at verse 18. Come, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I remember my sister was going through um, a TAFE where she was learning all about fashion design and all this kind of stuff. And she said, the hardest color to get out of a fabric is red. And yet, what, what is this passage saying? He's saying, your sins are like scarlet, like red wine on a white shirt. Really hard to get out, almost impossible. No, no, no guess what? They're going to be white as snow. Though, though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Perfect. See, in the gospel, guess what? All your many sins, God has washed you clean. Maybe you're here and you're, you read the first you know, 17 verses and you're like, man, that's me. In fact, hands, I just feel like God is, is really trying to get me to acknowledge him. In fact, hands, I feel like a hypocrite here. Because this week, this whole week has been one display of my hypocrisy. I call myself a Christian, but I'm living like this. Now, I call myself a Christian, but I'm addicted to pornography. Now, I, I, I'm, I call myself a Christian, but I'm addicted to my own self-righteousness, to be always right. And I know that hurts other people around me, but I can't stop. Hands, I, I call myself a Christian, but I've got this addiction that everyone knows, or, or maybe I just know and no one else does. Hands, I call myself a Christian, but I, I just see so much greed in my life. Hands, I, I call myself a Christian, but I know I hurt people and I can't apologize. And, and I'm here and I feel so, so guilty. So guilty. We'll hear these words again. Because of what Jesus has done, though your sins are like scarlet, Jesus, by his death on the cross, has washed them white as snow. Though your sins are as red as crimson, because of what Jesus has done, they are pure white like wool. And, and you may be hyper aware of your own sin. Jesus has dealt with them. 
I remember as a kid, my, my dad um, used to be in construction, and uh, he was quite well known, and, and his, the company that he worked for was quite well known for building a bunch of different things for uh, very rich cotton farmers, right? And one of the things that happened, if these cotton farmers actually threw a, a, uh, like a Christmas dinner or something like that, a Christmas party, we used to get invited. I remember going to one about 50 k's outside of Moree. We were driving along. It was 40 degrees. The car overheated, right? And so we pulled up, and um, Dad did something because he knew about engines. I don't. But he took the, um, some cap off, and a bunch of water came out, and he got, like, brown water just a bit on his white shirt, and when he, when he went to this party, everything, you know, he put more water in and he fixed it up. And anyway, we went to the party and I could tell my dad was hyper aware of this stain. This stain. Because he used to go up to everyone and go, he told the story about like 10 times at least. Oh yeah, we were, you know, car overheated, blah, 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 I did this, what, you know, that's where it's thing. And people go, oh, okay, fair enough, and just kind of moved on. He was hyper aware of this stain. He was embarrassed by this stain. Not only were we at a a Christmas gig with millionaires, but Dad had a stain on his best shirt. He was hyper aware of that stain. And I dare say there's some of you guys who are hyper aware of the stain that your sin has caused you. One of the things, wouldn't it be amazing if my my mum got some oxy-action type spray-on stuff and it was gone. Wouldn't that be amazing? And then Dad wouldn't have been embarrassed about this stain. Well, you know what? What Jesus did for you and your sin is better than any oxy-action that you could do for a T-shirt. They don't even work anyway. I've tried it before. It doesn't work, does it? But on a spiritual level, that's exactly what he's done for you. Maybe you're, you're saying, man, hands, oh, I'm, I'm addicted to pornography. God says, actually, I've wiped that sin clean. Hands, I'm addicted to a, a substance or something like this. I've, I've wiped that clean. Hands, I, I've caused so much hurt in my family. I, I've wiped that clean. That's what I've done. That is what God has done for you. And this week, what Satan is going to do, he's going to remind you of your sin. Maybe he's doing it now. Here's what I want you to say to him. You've got to say, hey, Satan, you're absolutely right. My sin is grievous. It's it's terrible. But you are forgetting that the Lord Jesus has washed me clean. So I stand before the Lord Jesus spotless. Spotless. One of the things I love about reading the Gospels is this, and especially that passage that Michelle read out from Mark 2, is that Jesus chose to eat with sinful people. I think one of the reasons why the Pharisees were frustrated that that, uh, Jesus ate with sinful people is they were jealous of them. They wanted Jesus to eat with them. But Jesus chose to eat with sinful people. If you are a sinful person, Jesus would not walk away from you. He would walk to you. Jesus doesn't think your life and your sin is burdensome to him. No, he is energized out of his love to love you. We serve a gracious God. 
And this gracious God is going to give us a choice in verse 19 and 20. Have a look. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Did you see that great choice? Either be willing and obedient and you'll get good things. Or keep rebelling, guess what? War's going to come, you'll be destroyed. I don't know if you like stand-up comedy, but I like stand-up comedy. One of my favourite comedians is a guy named Eddie Izzard, and he's got this really silly kind of sketch about um, uh, someone going to an Anglican church or uh, over in England, and uh, the, 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 he, he talks about how the minister's not full-on. He doesn't say, ah, oh, you know, you've got to have cake or, or death, basically. And he talks about, you know, how, how, what a dumb... You know, question that is, you, what do you want? Oh, cake or death? Um, cake, please. Uh, you, what do you want? Oh, cake or death? Uh, I'll have cake too, for me too, please. And it's kind of funny. He's a lot funnier when he does it, so go and watch it because he's a lot funnier than me, right? But, but the whole point is it's such a ridiculous comparison. If you're going to choose between cake or death, no matter if it's like carrot cake and I hate carrot, carrot cake, I'm going to eat the carrot cake, right? And here it is. It's saying, hey, this is a cake or death type choice. Willing obedience will get you the good things of the land. If not, resist and rebel, you will be destroyed. Cake or death, you've got the choice before you. And here's our choice. In response to what Jesus has done, we can either continue to rebel against him Or we can say, hey, I want to live for you. We can continue to rebel against him. And we will face eternity without him under his judgment. Or we can live for him and live a life filled with hope. Cake or death, a very easy choice. But what are you choosing today? What are you going to walk out of here today choosing? Are you going to continue, because of what Jesus has done, to live in response to this gracious God, to live in response to him? Or are you going to choose death? That's the choice. See, today, Isaiah has has had a conversation with us. In fact, God, through Isaiah, excuse me, has had a conversation with us. It's been very confronting, hasn't it? God has pointed out parts of my life, and I'm sure he's done this for you, that has been really uncomfortable. But remember, this is the God who has washed you clean of your sin. This is the God who has done everything so you can be right with him. So go, go and live a life of willing and joyful obedience. Go and live joyfully to his praise and glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us enough to have these hard conversations with us through your word. I I love the fact that, that not only do you have these hard conversations, but when you point out our sin... You remind us of what you have done to wash us clean. Lord, Lord, I I pray for those of us here today that are feeling your chastisement, that that are feeling like 
you are trying to wake them up. I pray that they would do that today. They would wake up. Lord, 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 I pray for those of us who are really engaging in hypocritical worship. We come here and worship, we, we sing praises, we do all that thing, but, but our lives aren't changed. Oh, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to change our lives so that our lives out, outside of church match the words we sing in church. And Lord, I, I pray today for those of us here who are feeling like we have failed you, which we all have. Those of us feel like we've got this big stain on our life. We're we're ashamed, we're embarrassed. Lord, I pray that they go away forgetting their sin because you have forgotten it, because you've dealt with it in Jesus. I pray that they walk away from here today being blown away by their amazing grace so much that their hearts are full of joy. And Lord, I pray for those people, but also for all of us, that because of what Jesus has done, we would choose to live for him. We would choose life and not death. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.